Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your host, Dodd Abernathy, Jeff Copsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based <laughs> podcast. It's been a long four days, but we're here, we're together, and apparently we've got a lot to talk about, but before we get to this and that, let me introduce the fellas. Joining us, as always, from Texas, Mr. Jeff Copsetta. Jeff, sir, how are you? Great, great. How are you? And joining us always, as always, is um, Mr. Henry Sledge. Henry, how are you? Great. How are you guys? Doing well, all things considering. So uh, just to give a real quick rundown, if you're interested about my trip to Kentucky, just go ahead and tune into the What's in Your Head podcast tomorrow, because I'm sure we'll do a good 30 minutes on it. I will say um, I left on Thursday, about four hours after subtropical storm, and then Category 1 Nicole hit the East Coast, jacked it all up, and then flew across the center of the state and hung a hard right and went north, which means as my plane was flying through the area, we caught up with it and flew over it a little bit. And uh, there's something interesting to be said about riding on a plane while reading a book about the 101st Airborne and how they were catching flak during uh, the D-Day invasion while your plane's dropping up and down in real life. Like, wow, this is really... This is like being in a virtual reality. So I got to enjoy um, the experience of a turbulent flight while reading a book about turbulent flight. And I have to say, reading the book took my mind off of the real-life turbulent flight. And chances are, if I wasn't reading the book, I probably would have paid a lot more attention to it and got a little bit more concerned. But with that being said, all things are good until we landed and the plane fell about four feet out of the air and slammed on the back tires. And then we slowly had to wait while uh, the police arrested a man for harassing a, a wife and a mother on the plane because, well, after all, when you you fly on Frontier and you don't pay for the seats, uh, your family gets split up. It was interesting. I was sitting next to a young man who was probably about 12, 13. His dad was on the other side, and I'm reading my book and got on my service boots because, well, they're brand new, and I'm going to a funeral, and... I'm trying to keep my uh, check-in down, so instead of bringing a bunch of different shoes, I just put on my boots and uh, had my M1 jacket on because, well, it was 89 degrees here, but uh, it got down to 32 in Kentucky. But as I'm reading my book, I look down at his phone, and he's watching Midway. I said, yeah, cool. And then uh, halfway through the flight, his dad starts talking to him. He's like, well, I didn't get a chance to watch Kelly's Heroes this weekend. I said, hmm, apparently someone's in the World War II. Wow, you had me there. Yeah, so um, I might talk to him. Talked to him and his dad a little bit about World War II, and then um, the fine people on Frontier let my tall six foot five ass get out of the middle seat and move to the bulkhead seat, about three lanes in front of them. To which point, I hear later on, the uh, same flight attendant came to tell the father that the uh, police will be waiting at the gates in Cincinnati because apparently, as much as I can understand, his wife sitting up front because they didn't buy assigned seatings was getting harassed by the gentleman next to her in such a manner that the airline felt it was appropriate to have him arrested. Don't know exactly what happened because shout out to the crazy dick who got arrested. He did not make a scene. So while we were waiting on the tarmac for 30 minutes, it was nice and quiet. I was just kind of wondering like, why didn't they just let him off and have a flight attendant walk behind him with a finger just pointing down at his head. So once he got off the tunnel, they could arrest him out there so we could all get off the plane, but uh, didn't make a scene in any of that. And went on about my business, and then, as we all heard, uh, what happened in Dallas. But uh, before we get to that, um, Jeff, you were there, right? Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about what was happening before what happened, because obviously you had a whole day, and I'm sure before that happened, you probably were enjoying your afternoon. And were, th- were you there as a spectator? Were you there on official you know, capacity? Did you have a display set up? What, what was your day like prior to what happened? Yeah. So here, here was the plan. Um, I have not been able to actually enjoy an air show since I was 16 years old. And, uh, I planned on, you know what, uh, you know, we'll get dressed up, we'll go up there and we'll just enjoy an air show. So I took my son and uh two of his best friends from high school and all, all four of us were dressed up you know we, we got a couple hotel rooms for a couple nights we went up friday after school and got out there at the tarmac about zero seven maybe zero seven thirty you know it was brisk it, it, it was uh you needed to be wearing that a2 jacket but which is what that's what we wanted because sure yeah we've been pushing 90 
you know, the past couple weeks and it's just been getting old and you're like, you want to get in the spirit and then you just see pumpkins drooping and melting and, you know, it's just not fall. So we wanted fall weather and we got a big storm, not a, not a big storm, but just kind of a big cold front Friday made the temperatures plummet uh, into the thirties that night. So it was perfect, right? Just that England weather, early morning, watching the sun come up. But don't be fooled. Jeff's dedicated. Even if it was 97, he would have had the same uniform on. He would just be a little sweatier. Fact. Fact. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, That's why we're crazy. That's how I got heat exhaustion doing a photo shoot with the Memphis Bell in the middle of August in Florida. Right. So, um, so yeah, it was just, I was really excited because Logan's best friend, um, his dad had surprised him with a ride and he, he had no idea. He just said, Hey, uh, you know, my dad's going to drive up with my little brother and I got to meet him at the gate at like eight 50 and he's got a surprise for me. And we all knew what it was, but you know, he didn't. So he meets his dad and, um, we, uh, you know, he comes back with this little badge that says that he's going to ride in Texas Raiders that morning. Now, for those, some listeners who may not watch the news or may not be familiar with what Texas Raider was, what type of aircraft is it or was it at that time? So, yeah, that's uh, the B-17G model that was staged out of the Houston wing of the Commemorative Air Force. And uh, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a main staple for a lot of the air shows here in Texas because, I mean, it's just, it's right here. It's based in Texas and, you know, the, as, name. Uh, the commemorative air force is, is, is all over the country. Right. But, um, Texas Raiders was really one of the, one of the main aircraft, one of the main attractions. If you went to the Houston or, or wings over Dallas, it's come right here to burn it for our air shows you know, it, it, all over. And over the um, last three or four days, I've seen a plethora of photos from the, uh, Florida world war two community where that, that particular, um, plane had been down here to a few of our, reoccurring air shows and so that that particular uh plane made its rounds amongst the air shows and the living history community i mean as far as displays go this thing was well a well-traveled a well-maintained bird absolutely yeah and and um you know i'd been in it a few times and got to talk with the crew a couple years ago and asked you know to get a little little special treatment and get up into the i've never been in the bombardier seat of a b-17 so these guys were really cool and and let me go through. So the plan was um, that after Logan's friend, you know, he's he flew in Texas Raiders in the B-17. And uh, when he was taking care of that, you know, it's early in the morning, the air show, the gates open at nine. So he's off getting his briefing with that. They were going to fly at 10. Uh, we just kind of got absorbed. The guy that runs the living history uh, group up there at the air show or the ground forces came up to me. And and I, 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 I I'm sure I met him. I, I don't. I don't recall meeting him, but he was saying how he was uh, wondering if I was going to be there and, and, and glad to see me and, and hoping that I was going to participate. And I've, okay. So I went from enjoying an air show to playing along, of yeah. course. Um, but it, it, it's nothing at all like the normal work that I did. I didn't have to, to talk to the crowd or worry about weapon systems or anything like that. I literally got, uh, I brought my footlocker with me, thank goodness, and one of my baseball gloves. And I tied in with this really gr- great group of Air Corps reenactors, and I'll talk about them later. Now, but, was your son dressed up too? Yeah. So, yeah, Logan goes, as, he went as 82nd Airborne. And then the two friends that were with him, one was 6th Ranger Battalion, and the other one was German Fairmont. So, you had it all so, covered. Yeah, so it was the Vermont <laughs> that was flying in the B-17. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it couldn't have been a weirder combination of things. But, you know, the kid was just tickled pink, right? He's never yeah. flown an airplane before. He's a senior in high school. He's 17 years old. He just took his ASVAB. And, oh, by the way, last week you were talking about how he was considering getting out of the hobby. And so this probably reinvigorated him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we send Aiden off to, to go fly on the B-17. And a couple of us grabbed some baseball gloves. And uh, just after the 17 landed is when the air show kind of started with the axe. And the axe kind of go chronologically through World War II. So you start with the Tora, 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 Pearl Harbor uh, scene. So now is this one everybody's... of those, is this one of those types where they got the pyrotechnics, they, you know, the gas explosions and all that sort of thing. And the <clears throat> guy on the PA kind of giving a rundown, your normal air show fair. 
Right, right. Yeah. So if you've ever seen the tour, tour, tour act, yeah, it's, it's narrated. And so we go out in front of the, the uh, crowd line there and um, just threw a baseball around. We had some vehicles out there. We kind of convoyed out in some Jeeps and, and uh, weapons carriers, you know, in front of the, the crowd and wave and everything, do our thing. And then we just kind of set up. Yeah, the boys took their jackets off. They're in white T-shirts. We're just in a triangle throwing a baseball around with 1940s gloves. <laughs> Isn't it amazing and- what you can do and get away with at an air show just because you have the right clothes on? There's been so many times like you get access to stuff that the general public does. And just because you have the uniform on, it's like right. it's such a great perk. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, and again, this is a whole lot easier than what I used to have to do at Wings yep. Over Dallas, you know. So, yeah, OK, I can throw the baseball around with my son and his buddy. So that's what we did. And uh, they had some ladies out there in their dresses and their sun hats. And they were having a picnic watching these boys throw a baseball around. And yeah, and then you hear, you know, the like you said, it's narrated. So they people get a little bit of history and then we look up and there's nine tour 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 birds in wow. two form one formation of four and another formation of five aircraft you know the the zeros the vowels the cates and uh they come in kind of from behind the crowd towards the runway and then they just start peeling off one at a time make a loop around and then as they're going left to right and right to left pyrotechnics are going off everywhere right so they're just the air raid sirens going on. We're ducking for cover, getting 30 cows and 50 cows up, you know, on the Jeeps. And we're just shooting back at them, you know, all blank firing ammunition. Guys are shooting with their Thompsons and 1911s, you know, just trying to recreate the havoc sure. that was, so you know, fun. Pearl Harbor. Um, and this is the first time that I'd seen. They actually have a replica P-35 that takes off. Usually it was a P-40. Um, but I've never seen their P-35. It's not original. It's, you know, it's a replica. But um the 35 takes off in the middle of all this nonsense and man he starts dog fighting these zeros you know it was just really just a great show of just unbelievable choreography now you have 10 fighters in the air and then oh wait the b-17s that were due to land from the mainland that came in during the attack here comes the texas raiders b-17 right in the middle of kates and zeros strafing back and forth you know everything's blowing up they're talking about that over the narration. You know, the, the flight of B-17s is here. They don't have any guns. They can't fight back. They're low on fuel. They're getting hit, they, you know, and all that. And the next time Texas Raiders makes a pass, one landing gear's up, one gear's down, number three engines trailing smoke. You know, it, it's just – so now you've got 11 aircraft. Everywhere you look, there's just airplanes and smoke and explosions and – it's amazing. And every time I've been a part of that little baseball thing, mm-hmm. it's so humbling, man. I mean, you just, you feel the emotion, you feel the, you, I mean, you know, it's, you know, we're reenacting, yeah. you, you know, nobody's in any, you know, real potential harm, but, uh, you know, at least for us on the ground, it's very, still very dangerous as pilots, of course, but, um, you you kind of get what those you know a little bit of a sense of holy smokes like dude, we're just getting pummeled i couldn't imagine you know if we had nine aircraft coming over attacking i couldn't imagine 180 attacking in such a small area this the sound would have been you know Deafening. multiplied thousands of times from what the pyrotechnics we were using the debris that had to have been flying around the fear just you you feel a little bit of that. You almost kind of get scared. And even my son was saying the same thing. You know, he took a hit in the leg and he's laying there. And somebody took a trouser belt off and giving him a tourniquet, trying to keep him warm, taking a jacket off, covering him up, you know, and he's freaking out. Somebody we had a couple medics running for him. Somebody else goes to help him. He gets hit. You know, nothing's really choreographed. It's just in the moment mm-hmm. and you know what you could feel. And, you know, he 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 kind of said the same thing. Like he was just like it was like you were scared. Yeah. You know, it was, it, so it's, it's that powerful of a show. So, um, tour, tour, tour finishes the, the nine aircraft come over and, and they're all just in line, you know, blowing their smoke oil. So there's just nine white stripes going across the, the sky, you know, and Texas Raiders flying with them and one final, you know, photo pass for the crowd. Um, and then we went off to meet some world war two vets and um man the uh colonel mcphail colonel joe mcphail and i i sent you guys a picture of him i think he uh, according to his son 
He's the last surviving Corsair pilot from World War II that flew Corsairs. This is a picture of him behind me. I met, I met him for the first time about five or six years ago. I've met him, I think, four times since then. And I was blown away when I walk up to him and he remembered me when we shook hands. I was blown away. He's 101 years old. Um, sitting at the table. So uh, I sat down with him and we just kind of cut up for a few minutes. And his son said, man, um, do you know about this new Corsair movie that's coming out? Uh, matter of fact, we do. Uh, <laughs> we just had the author of the book uh, that the movie's based on on our show about five days ago. Yep. So, oh, man, you're kidding. Oh, because, you know, dad flew in the Korea, too. You know, he was in the Death Rattlers in Korea, you know. So talking all about that, talking about Adam Makos and just just having a ball with this guy. Um, mm. Then we meet one of the last Rosie the Riveters. Really? She, she's 98 years old. She worked on B-29s. Her name was Connie. And... Um, uh, one of uh, Logan's buddies that was with me dressed as six Rangers, he was waiting in line and, and he tells you, he said, look, uh, you know, I got somebody here with me that would like to take, you know, a picture with you behind the table there. So when I walked up, she kind of waved me over. I guess it was her daughter kind of waved me over. And I, <laughs> okay. So I just cut in front of the line and sat down next to her. Like I'd known her and I put my arm around her. I said, Hey, Connie, how you doing? I said, you remember me? And she just kind of looked at me. She said, no, I said, you don't remember me? I said, we went on a date back in 43. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she starts cracking up. Everybody in line's cracking up. So it was just really cool to talk to her. She said she's four foot, eight inches tall. Wow. She said there wasn't anywhere in that B-29 I, I couldn't get they to. They had her in all the tight <laughs> spots. <laughs> so, um, so it was great. You know, we're eating chow and uh, we watched Fifi. And if you're not familiar with Fifi, it's the Airworthy B-29. We watched Fifi come in and taxi right in front of us. Took some pictures of some of the other warbirds that were sitting there. Finally got to see the Helldiver, a uh, couple C-47s, a uh, couple C-45s, about three C-45s, um, a P-51D, a P-51C. Um, <laughs> of course, the P-63 was sitting there. And... Uh, so at this time, the Doolittle raid was going on. The B-25 and the PBJ were airborne, and they're blowing stuff up. And, um, and then it was kind of the air war. So the B-24 takes off, and the P-51s, the B-17, and the P-63. And then kind of showing a coordinated attack. And the escort fighters escorting our heavy bombers, you know, Air War Europe, Air War Pacific. Um, and I walked into a little like a, a modular building, a little portable building that was done up just like a little mini house during World War II. Had a little victory garden outside. The whole front porch was decorated. Little blue star hanging in the window. And inside it was just home front display. And there was about four ladies standing outside in 40s dresses and veils and skirts. And I mean, the girls were done up, you know, dressed to the nines, man. And um, went in and started talking with one. And... Uh, a, uh, a CAF, I guess, official photographer, you know, he's got a camera lens about this big, <laughs> you know, with this big camera. He, he, he calls to one of the girls. He said, hey, uh, there's a there, there's a, a good looking Air Corps officer behind you that really needs his picture taken with you. And we just kind of looked at each other like, OK, I guess we'll take our picture together. I said, look, lady, I'm just following orders. My name's Jeff. She goes, me too. I'm Jamie. OK, nice to meet you. So we're taking pictures inside of the, the house. And I don't know, he took five, five gazillion pictures and, and I gave him my business card. He said, Hey, don't be surprised if you see yourself in the, in the CAF dispatch. And I said, okay, great. And, and then you hear the explosions going on outside from the air war. So walk outside and way more black smoke than there should have been. And it was a bit more quiet than it, than it was all day. And I kind of just peeked up over the crowd and I could see uh, siren like lights, ambulance lights <sighs> racing down the runway. And I and a woman walked coming the other way past me, just crying, sobbing in tears. And I looked at Jamie and the, and, the, and the kiddo, you know, Logan's buddy that was next to me. Dude, what happened? And there was a guy kind of turning around, just trying to get his composure, holding his his mouth. And he said that that P-51 just hit the B-17. And I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, he said that the, the, the plane's just disintegrated. 
I said, the B-17 has gone. He said, yeah, he said, it was just cut in half. Yeah. I can't believe it was just cut in half. And um, so the, the B-24 flew over. And one of the guys, one of the Air Corps guys that I was with said, man, well, there's the two P-51s right there. It couldn't have been a P-51 that hit it. And I think somebody else overheard and corrected. They said that was the P-63, the King Cobra that hit it. Um, and uh, we just kind of slowly walked up to the, you know, we we weren't far from the crowd line. Where was your son? Was he with you too? He was actually getting chow with his buddy that flew in the 17 that day. And he actually saw the tail section. He heard the explosion and saw the smoke and kind of same thing like that. That doesn't sound like the pyrotechnics. And he thought he saw what looked like a tail section, but he said it, it wasn't from Texas Raiders. He just was like, man, there's like debris coming out of that pyrotechnic, something, you know, you know, we, we didn't actually, we weren't watching the aircraft like 40,000 other people were, yeah. you know, so we didn't see the before, we just saw the almost immediately after. And guys, you know, th- I've been around, this is not the first World War II bird, you know, crash mm. that I've been around or that I've personally uh, had something to do with. Um, I'll tell you, I didn't have anything to do with this one at all, but, um, you know, it, um, you know, my passion for B-17s, you know, my passion for the guys and the girls that are in this hobby. Um, and I didn't realize how tight the hobby was. I don't think until Saturday afternoon, because within 30 minutes, I mean, we were there, they, you know, so the air show's canceled, right? Sure. There's, there's a, there's a pre-recorded just in case contingency public address that says an unplanned incident has occurred. Now, um, are they actively <laughs> trying to funnel people off the property? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was leave. Everybody leave. Dallas police is asking everybody to please leave the air show immediately. Remain calm. It's been an unplanned incident. Please leave through the North gate. Um, because there was pieces of everything all over the road that we came in on. And I think one other highway. Yeah. I heard the news report on the highway. So for 40 to 50,000 people to get in their cars and all go out one gravel road uh and half of them shocked because they they watched it right right it was just unbelievable people are just they're on their knees crying grown men are crying people that just love the hobby feeling for the families um i've never been around so many people and hear so much silence um then the theme actually for pacific just the um just that just that music yeah just started playing on a loop over the over the loudspeakers and um but again i never realized how how close we are as a community in living history in the world war ii community because literally within 30 minutes the first phone call i got was from um if you follow them on instagram pacific war relics uh in hawaii called me uh naturally the history chick oregon my buddy Yoshiro in Hiroshima, Japan, folks from New Jersey, other guys from all over Texas, um, a reenactor buddy of mine stationed in Germany within a, within a matter of hours, yeah. because a lot of people knew I was going to be there. I told some people that Logan's buddy was flying in that airplane as a surprise. I just had no idea there was that many people that were going to reach out, checking on me, checking on Logan and, and his buddies just checking on our overall well-being, knowing that we are so passionate about this and it brings it home guys. And, and I told my boys this that were with me. I said, guys, this is an amazing air show. We met the last surviving Corsair pilot. We talked to one of the last rows of the riveters. We, we got to do stuff that people usually don't get to do, uh, to, to play baseball in the Pearl Harbor thing. Right. I mean, that was amazing. Um, those guys, did, went out doing exactly what they loved. Probably could not have imagined a better way to go uh, if there is a good way. And they did this because of all of those 18 and 19 and 22-year-old and boys that got blown out of the skies every day. Those accidents that happened, those B-17 mid-air collisions and the heavy England fog. 
those crashes on takeoff, crashes on landing, guys that just never came back, nobody knows what happened, or the B-17 that's in a flat spin and you see one shoot, all of those things. That's why those guys were doing it. And there's an inherent risk. And uh, it's important for us to think about that and to commemorate what they did. Um, and honestly, to feel more humble in the opportunity that we have here in America to see what we saw that day, to just to see at 730 in the morning, watch them just rotate those props to get oil up in the cylinders before they cranked it up. I mean, we were watching everything they were doing on Texas Raiders that day. We were right there, right, right where it was sitting, right in the little hard stand there. Um, it was a tragic event, but it, but it still could not have been a better air show other than the loss of life because, um, you know, I feel for those people, uh, I feel for their families. Um, but to see the commemoration, to see the dedication from the entire country, from other countries, I just saw Sally B over in England giving their condolences, you know, and Sally B is another B-17 it really hones us in on how important it is what we're doing. We're not just putting on a uniform. We're keeping these memories alive of all those guys. Seeing that pile of black rubble and pall of black smoke really made me think about how many times that was seen on a battlefield in England I, so many years ago. I think it's kind of a blessing. I, I'm just happy, you're, you, especially your boys, I'm just happy that they were preoccupied doing other things and didn't actually see the collision in real life. Yeah. So when you said he was getting chow and you guys were doing a photo shoot, I'm I'm kind of it makes me feel a little better that they didn't actually witness it. Oh uh, yeah, I, I feel for all the all the three and four year old kids that whose dads were kind of trying to cover their eyes because it was it's impactful. Everybody's going to remember that, you know. And they were flying so low. When I watched that video, it's like the 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 the, the crew in that seventeen probably had no idea what happened because ha- they, oh, no. they were so low yeah yeah and you know i, I have I, I have no comment on anything official about the accident we'll yeah. talk about it probably two years from now i just have my feeling it's almost to me in my personal opinion nothing official about it that the p63 was having an issue that's exactly what i thought once again like jeff said this we're just just based off of what we saw, the same thing everybody else saw in the video. It's like his aileron or something just got froze up, and he just lost, he yeah. he could not move. He could not turn it, the damn thing. It's almost like the B seventeen got in its way. And to to really, if that's the case, this day could have been not that it wasn't bad, but could have been a whole lot worse because it's. I don't know which video you watched or what angle, but for the crowd, Texas Raiders was moving from left to right. The P-63 kind of came in from the 7 o'clock position to the 17. The P-63 was literally heading towards the crowd. Wow. So if that 63 was making a beeline for planet Earth, the 17 cut it off. And prevented all just, huge loss You know, I life. can't say that for a fact. It yeah. could have gone over anybody. It could have had nothing wrong with it. I don't know. I really don't know. I I. I I'm curious if the 63 pilot um, maybe had, time to radio. had some kind of a physical condition all of a sudden, some 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 emergency. He may not have even been conscious. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like the 63, without making any evasive action, being on a just a straight line mm-hmm. for so long, mm-hmm. it's not like they were, you know – flying head on and you had a split second oh my gosh he's right there 17's just tooling along yeah and it was so low like i saw the video where yeah. i think the mcdonald's sign was in front of you the 17 came over your head and then the other plane came from the left side of the screen right. kind of in front of you and right. ju- and just like you see in band of brothers during you know or many of them it literally just cut it in half it was i'm yeah. just watching like holy hell yeah the the picture and I don't, you know, I don't suggest anybody go look at it, but the picture that Fox News got a hold of, a still shot, um, you can you can make out the nose of the 63, the tail section of the 63, and what you see of Texas Raiders coming apart looks like, if you remember the scene from Memphis Bell mm-hmm. when 
the tail gun, not the tail gunner, but the co-pilot at the tail gun position takes out the one and nine and it takes out mother and country. Yep. That's exactly what it looked like. Almost identical to that, except there was a, it was not a clean break. Yeah. It looks like it hit almost at the radio operator compartment all the way to where the, there was no top turret. The, the 17 is still flying level from the back seat of the pilot, gone. And uh, it's just, man. Anyway, guys, it was, it was a great air show. It was. A lot of good things happened that morning. And that's what we got to focus on. Yeah. Definitely a, a rough weekend. Yeah. And shout out to uh, Sarah. She did a tremendous job posting the pictures of the pilots and the crew and all those involved as the news came out. She did a nice um, kind of still frame memorial for each individual as yeah, they released the name on their Instagram page. And no editorialization just here's the photo there's a nice background the name the rank and a nice caption and that was all it was needed yeah so it's so it's, it's <laughs> i almost wish we would have started the show off with a little different subject matter than going in this because it's like it's hard to transition into a different topic after talking to something you know so fresh i know and relevant. It's- we, I, I, I know, I get it, and and it's just, um, again, I think it, 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 it rings how important it is that what we do, um, it, it costs lives to do it, and they're not the first. Yeah. You know, they, they are certainly not the first. Uh, they were all very well experienced pilots and air crewmen. There's an inherent risk every time you leave terra firma, right? There's an inherent risk with that. They, they were well aware of that, and then. Um, there's a risk when they just go up and pilot those things on a normal right. Sunday without doing the show. I mean, and that's exactly, right. I mean, that this is a choreographed show. I'm sure there was hours with the little planes on the sticks doing the whole thing and then working their way up. I mean, and so, at, yes, they definitely knew there was an inherent risk. Right. Oh, uh, snafu pod snafu pod reached out. Um, and in fact, I was listening to his podcast on the way home, uh, when, when he, when he asked about, you know, what was going on up there and that I was, you know, he saw that I was there and, you know, it's stuff like that. Um, it's just, and, and a big shout out by the way to snafu pod, because if you have not listened to that, it's incredible guys. If you, if you are interested in B-17s and the air war in Europe, this guy nails it. I mean, um, it's like, it's like the Dan Carlin of B seventeen <laughs> podcast. I'm serious. I, um, I, I'd love to talk to this guy more because it's so well done. Um, the, the the episodes are about an hour long, and you know, and again, just let, let's 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 transition out of the sure out of out of the bad stuff. Like I said, a lot a lot of good stuff happened this day, and to make these connections or to reinforce these connections that we've had with. Um, with some of these folks, um, yeah, Adam Akos reached out and was like, man, you know, met a, met a Corsair pilot from World War II and Korea. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. It, it, it really is. And, and he's excited to see your movie. You know, this is, this is good stuff. Um, so, you know, to everybody that, that reenacts any war, <laughs> any way, you know, let, let's, let's, uh, Let's tip our hats and raise our glasses to to those that that gave the ultimate sacrifice, remembering those that gave the ultimate sacrifice and, and all those who served. And um, you know, again, what what a way to go. It's Veterans Day weekend. Yeah. It's a B seventeen, it's a P sixty three. Um you know, how how else could you go? Commemorating you know what those boys did so and that plane was up in your neck of the woods not too long ago wasn't it henry yeah i mean that that's the first thing that occurred to me was that is the exact texas raiders that is the exact b-17 that was coming to coleman alabama um was it last week or the week before and i was trying to round up a bunch of jack's buddies and the dads to go and 
nobody could go. And then it ended up getting canceled because of the weather. And I don't know if the airplane did not come. I'm not sure because we didn't go. Sure. But I mean, I'm, you know, just the fact that, I mean, I, I certainly wasn't going to spring the money to put me or my son on it, but yeah. You know, it still went through my mind. What if we'd gotten up there and I'd gotten caught up in the moment and done that? You know, I mean, I, I can't help. I mean, I know we're trying to transition out of the bad stuff, but sure. I mean, I'm sorry. I can't help. Honestly, the first thing that went through my mind was, shit, that's the show that Jeff's friend was going to get his son a ride on the B-17. I hope to God he wasn't on it. Yeah. That was literally the first thing that went through my mind. Yeah, because when you see the footage, you don't know it's in the middle of a a choreographed show you just thought it was right just a, a so freak accident I, you know which it was and then it's but. like what if what if we had gone to coleman and and i i, I mean as a as a dad i just that was the first kind of the main thing that kept pounding my head but yeah it's just sad yeah yeah it is and you know i uh that evening, um, right immediately after the air show, I met uh, the guys that I served with at our annual reunion for Fox Troop 9th Cab in Grapevine, Texas. Um, so I already knew that was going to be an emotional night. Yeah. <laughs> um, and our medic that, that puts these reunions together, he's a Dallas firefighter. And uh, he showed me, he said, let me show you where my station is. And it was literally like, Dallas Executive Airport, where the air show was, uh, Highway 35, or yeah, no, yeah, Highway 35, and then his station. It was like maybe four miles, and he said, "Yeah," he said, "Dude, those trucks you saw there today, that was that was my crew, that was my guys." Um, so just what an incredibly small world. So naturally, he was the same way. He knew I was there for the air show. He's like, "Dude, what the heck happened?" Um, so. You know, again, and that kind of really hammered in the importance of of doing this because to hang out with these guys, some of these guys literally I haven't seen since we got back from Baghdad in 05. 17 years, man, since I've seen some of these guys that, that you know, that I fought next to. And and um, it's just, it's such a surreal experience because when, when you're with these guys and you're close, but you're not. And, and I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, you're you're with these guys, you're in these dynamic situations, you're all suffering together. But you probably like these these guys may not necessarily be the guys that you'd want to hang out with and watch a football game with kind of thing. Like you, you, you're you you're forced together. It's it's you don't <laughs> get to pick your family. You don't get to pick your family, but they are your family in a certain way. And right. Only you can right. talk shit about them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And it was just. Any grudges or any hard feelings or anything, they just go out the window at a reunion. You know, I'm not saying that there ever were. I don't know. But, um, you know, we were a small unit to begin with, to have about 50 guys in our unit. And I want to say there was a, probably close to nine or ten of our original guys that stood up Fox Troop. There was maybe nine or ten there, and the rest were from the unit that it got rolled into. So that we still had probably – 20 25 joes that showed up um but to see nine or ten from the original troop was was special see my old first sergeant again to find out that he retired he's less than 30 minutes away from me nice uh had no clue you know um to to and really the most humbling thing for me is to hear them say dude i i you know i i don't ever comment on your stuff but i see your stuff on social media I think it's amazing what you're doing, dude. Just, you know, living the dream with World War II and history. They're like, man, we're just so proud of you. So proud that you're here. And I'm like, what, are you kidding? Like these guys, some of these guys have multiple purple hearts, man. have been through any, in, in modern combat, they've been through it all, right? And, and to get, you know, to, to hear that from them, it's just, it's just, it means a lot, man. It's been a rough weekend, and I know we want to get off the the subject at hand, but you just said something, and I just want to drive this home. You said it's a small world. Here's how small of a world it is, and we're going to leave military history and war history, but we're going to stay on a topic of history. It's just real modern history. 
So as you guys uh, know, I had to go to Kentucky for the funeral of uh, my old roommate and uh, school friend, and I did that Thursday. And I came home, and I was talking to my nephew, and he said, I got to go to a funeral. I'm like, well, whose funeral do you got to go to? Dateline, um, Lexington, Kentucky. A northern Kentucky woman who was a nursing student at the University of Kentucky was among those killed after the huge Halloween party surge in South Korea. Um, University president announced that a student, Annie Gesick, was among more than 150 people killed in the crowd surge at a traditional Halloween gathering in Seoul, South Korea. She was a uh, junior nursing student at Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, who was studying in South Korea this semester with an education abroad program. And so my nephew actually worked at Skyline Chili with her for about two years. And you want to talk about small world. When this story broke all those weeks ago, never did I think that my nephew in Kentucky, who was the one who was born on 9-11, would have a classmate over in South Korea who would get, it's just, it's just like, what a small damn world. It's just, and and it goes back to the whole, hey universe, can you knock it off for a little bit? (laughs) I'm already at a funeral, which I had fly out Thursday. On Tuesday, I just found out another one of my friends, 41 year old, we talked about, passed away. Then the um, radio host that I worked for, he survived, but he had a heart attack that Friday. Fly to Kentucky. My nephew's going to a funeral, and then this, the Dallas thing happened. I'm just like, holy hell, can, can we get a break here? But, yeah, so you, I wasn't going to talk about it, but you mentioned Small World, and that's the first thing I thought. I'm like, holy hell, this girl's on the other side of the planet at this freak accident, and my now my nephew's going to a It's just you just never know. It's It's definitely a small world. Yeah, it's just a cosmic coin toss with who gets to come back and who doesn't. And, you know, those boys are, of course, you know, they're pretty shaken up, especially yeah. the one that flew in it an hour and a half before it's gone. And, you know, I said, boys, what do you think it was like? You know, you're, you're reenacting a, a generation of, of warriors. And don't you think they said the same thing? Like, dude, I was just talking to that guy. Mm-hmm. I was just there. And I'm sure he, he took pictures while he was on the plane. Oh, he's got GoPro footage. So yeah, here's the deal, man. So he, for for uh, landing and takeoff, he was sitting in the radio operator's chair, right? Once they were airborne, he got to go back to the waste gun. He got to walk across the catwalk in the Bombay. Really? And, you know, the flight engineer. Yeah, the flight engineer told him, like, you know, they're load-activated doors. If you fall over, they're opening up, right? Um, so goes across the catwalk, goes up. Talks, you know, sits by the the pilot and the co-pilot, the flight engineer seat, hangs out up there. They let him go up in the top turret. He can spin the turret around, and you know, up top and now, looking out. And let's back up real quick. He's walking across the catwalk. Now, for those of you who don't remember the beginning of the story, he's not wearing Adidas. He's not wearing Nikes or a pair of Hey dudes. <laughs> he's got hobnail toes, Weimar Republic boots on that do not exactly provide traction on wood and or steel. Yeah. <laughs> so for him to venture yeah. across that, I could just imagine the sound of him walking through that plane with those hot nails <laughs> on. I when I was at the event two weeks ago at the train, my one of my jobs was to drive my tundra down the end of the line. And so when the Germans all <laughs> died, I had to take a fleet of Germans back in my Japanese truck and hearing them come luckily I got rhino liner in my bed, but yeah, just hearing them walking across my bed. I could yeah. imagine him <laughs> trancing around in that plane while it's in the air with hobnails on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, you know, what an experience. It's the first time he's ever flown. Never been what, in a commercial a, plane? Nope. Wow. I would like nope, to see so, the look on his face when he he fit, he literally left the pl- the ground for the first time. Because that's always the scary part is takeoff and landing. Yeah. You know, he, he said he didn't have any, any problem with it. And he said he felt a little queasy towards the end as they were coming for the landing because it's just unnatural, right? Yeah. He's never done it. You know, and of course... And, and you're 17. not in a pressurized plane with nice insulation. It's loud and, and rickety oh. and shaky. Oh, that's what he was saying. He couldn't believe how loud it was. As he said, you know, on the takeoff, when they gunned the engines, it was he was like the whole airplane was coming apart, you know. Um, but it was really neat. They were talking to him about um, when the radio operator, when, when they were transmitting between the aircraft, that little cable that would kind of come out and just kind of tether off, you know, and just and just – 
act as an float antenna behind the airplane as their antenna. And then when they were done talking, they would reel back into the airplane, you know, and he just thought that was, you know, really neat to think just primitive ways of communicating in the air back then. And so for him to get that experience, you know, nothing like it. I mean, really cool that his dad surprised him when, you know, and when, when I told him that I was going to take him up there, I just thought that was so cool. And his dad, I'm glad his dad got to be there and, and watch him take off. Uh, they got a whole, so I think there was eight passengers total, which was the last flight that, that, that was a, it was a last flight of passengers on board. Right. He, he, he literally was the last, well, I take that back because they flew for Pearl for the tour, 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 but they didn't have passengers. So they landed and then again, you know, to the great unknown at last time, but, um, he got a picture of the whole crew, everybody with him all standing out in front of the nose of the, of the B-17, you know, the whole flight crew, everybody he flew with like a group picture right under the nose canopy. So, you know, really special. And yeah, he said he's got GoPro footage and everything. So, um, you know, if we, if we're still planning on our, our youth episode yeah, from please. today, he, uh, yeah, he'd love to to talk about a little bit more in detail what that flight, you know, was like, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I was at my sister's last night because she had dropped me off the airport this morning, and I she, I just turned it on because of her, and I turned on Fury, and she had never seen it. And it's interesting to watch that movie with someone who doesn't watch a whole hell of a lot of World War II movies and didn't see what was coming, coming. But the funny part to me was, and I forget that a lot of people don't realize this, the scene where the they're you know they're they're laying down the fire to, to rescue the infantry out of the the ditch and it got the the um, oh crap tracer rounds going. She's like they didn't have that back then because she's used to seeing that shit in Star Wars. I'm like no, we had it. Just <laughs> most of the time the Americans were smart enough to take it out of the gun so they couldn't follow the the tracers back. I said no, that that technology was definitely around, but she thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, was definitely thrown off by a few parts of it, but I had seen that maybe so many times that it was interesting to be in a room with someone who had who had never seen it and, and how it affected her in that way. So it was kind of cool to watch. Yeah, and it's funny you say that about the tracers too, because I honestly feel like that's the absolute worst part of the movie. The tracers are extra Star Warsy. Yeah, I mean they really are. <laughs> they are, uh, but you know, it is what it is. Pretty good movie. But yeah, no. anyway, so, you know, you're talking about your Memphis Bell photo shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you guys, of course, you know, I love, love the air course. So tying in with this group, man, I want, and I want to get, I get the name right here. Cause, cause Don, I mean, you, you would really, I know you'd really get a kick out of them too. Um, they are the, uh, army air Corps living history group, uh, DFW Dallas, Fort Worth, um, there was about five of them there, I want to say total and talking to the one guy who kind of seemed like he was kind of, you know, the, 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 the guy in charge, super nice. It, it, and let me tell you how this conversation went, you know, we're, we're, we're both dressed in, in air Corps stuff. Right. And he's got his May West on and the sunglasses, the, the crusher whole nine yards. And I go up and he's got his little, I want to say it's like a, I'm not up on tents of World War II, okay? I don't really know tents very well, but it was like a small fly tent, but larger than a small fly, but it didn't have sides, right? So just kind of a a peak and then just kind of open down on the sides and and open front to back, just a big, large piece of canvas. Now, Um, if there was no physical sides rolled up or none, right? It's just canvas? Right. Just canvas on sticks? They refer to those as mess flies. Right. Okay. So yep. it was like a fly tent, but yeah, not okay. So a mess fly. Yeah. Sure. It's just basically canvas on sticks. There's no sides rolled up right. or nothing. Yep. It's just a fly. Right. So, and he's got a couple, he's got a field desk in there. Or not field desk. This is like a little field table, a cot, a couple foot lockers opened up, display, little radio, and all, you know, the little British folding chairs. Nice. Yeah. And, and that's what the display was just like a scramble tent. My fat ass. guy's hanging one. out. Yeah. Just listening to the radio, getting ready for a mission and, and being able to scramble. So, Seeing all these guys in these A2s and all, all this amazing gear, you know, just struck up a conversation with them. And and the next thing I know, it was like, you know, we're both like a couple of kids with our phones out, you know, because, oh, he builds model airplanes too. And, oh, and he <laughs> does, you know, air, 
air, airfield Jeff found his doppelganger. Oh, okay, let me show you this. Oh, you're. Oh, your son's a reenactor. Oh my gosh. Well, let me show you my kid, you know, as, as an airborne trooper. And he's showing me his kid as a Navy pilot physically sitting in a Corsair cockpit. Right. And then we're talking, I said, well, yeah, you know, we retired. Oh, the, the Jeep came up. I got a 42 GPW. I said, I just put a new fuel tank in. I still can't get it running. And he's like, I have a 45 GPW. I just put a new fuel tank in it. I can't get it running. It was like, we just become best friends. Yep. (laughs) I've seen enough shows on. Where have you been? (laughs) I've seen enough of those hot rod shows to know that oftentimes when you don't start, it's because the fuel pump's wired up backwards. So check the continuity on your fuel pump. (laughs) You Uh, may be sucking instead of pushing. My fuel pump does not have wires going to it. It's it's vacuum. It's it's vacuum. vacuum, (laughs) Speaking Um, of which. But anyway, so yeah, it was was fun. And and these guys are are looking to to link up with us at the Blue Bonnet Air Show coming up in March. You know they're wanting to kind of get out more and you know bring their displays, be able to travel. Uh, the one guy, you know, just talking with him tonight, he's actually the owner of a painted A two. That if you're familiar with with John McGuire, and and I think I've talked about one of the books before, uh, uh, Silver Wings, Pinks and Greens. Okay, it's like the most comprehensive about air corps uh you know gear during from world war one to to world war two he has one of the jackets that's in the one of the mcguire books his photograph yeah he was just showing me pictures of it big big eighth air force painted on the back you know it's named he's got documentation for it everything a named a2 yeah a named painted a2 where the paint hasn't Holy flaked stuff. off or the leather hasn't scaled right on i mean it, super cool super nice guys um so just just made friends real quick they let me hang out pull up my foot locker kick my shoes off we shared some coffee and and lunch together and you know what a what a great way and what a, what a great bunch of guys to to spend the you know the, the first half of that air show with you know I got a little interesting way to break in my boots because, as I said earlier, you know, my my boots are relatively new. I've worn them to one event, but it's weird to think that 48 hours ago I was standing in my cousin's backyard in Indiana fishing in a lake when it was 32 degree, 31 degrees outside with snow on the ground, and then today I'm back here fishing when it's 87. But all I had on was just I had those boots on walking around the snow, and I was like, well, they actually kind of cut my feet pretty damn warm i was imp- i was i was half expecting them just to get real cold but i i just had on that a hooded sweatshirt and my m41 over top of it and i stayed pretty warm with the exception of my hands my cousin kicked my ass he caught six bats only caught one but it was just kind of being in florida for all these years it's just kind of nice to walk around in snow again it'd been so it's probably been 16 17 years before i've since i've had my feet on snow and had to scrape off a car window so i'm sure i'll have a nice I already got sniffles coming on. I think that's probably the recirculated air from the airplane, but it's just been a weird, weird uh, last four four days or so. Yeah. So uh, it's about that time of the show. What you reading, Henry? I am still making my way through James Holland's Normandy 44 book. I'm probably 370 pages in. It's, uh haven't. You know, with everything going on, I have not had as much time to read as I would like, but I'm really enjoying it. It's a really good book. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, um, I just finished this up. Actually, I finished it Friday night when I was in Dallas in the in the hotel room. It's just called Fighting Squadron. This is a uh, it's a first edition. Came out in 1946 from a Navy pilot, Bob Winston. Um, I want to make sure I said that right. Yeah, yeah, Commander Bob Winston. Uh, he was a, uh, well, he started in the, this is kind of the second book that he put out. So in this one, he starts out in wildcats, goes to hellcats. He's got like a winged meat cleaver is their squadron <laughs> insignia. Cool. They were pa- part of task force 58, but just such a, uh, yeah, it's a quick read book. There's some pictures in here, but you know, it's a pretty thin book. Like, again, it, this is from 46 is a first edition book. And, so interesting to me this guy actually joined i want to say in like 1935 so really flew some of those you know really kind of crucial pre-war aircraft that the navy had uh where the wildcat was like the cat's meow right um and so it's about him kind of 
he, he's kind of at the end of his kind of the old guy. You know, I want to say it, it here. He's like in his late twenties, you know, so he's kind of the geezer, but you know, the, the, the war has come on and he's really wanting to get back. He wants to get a, a fighting command. So he goes back in He kind of leaves his desk job and he tries out to, to get back in the, in the pilot seat again. So he's stateside and he's, he's flying these wildcats and um gets hung up in a in a collision in, in the air um with another wildcat they were on a diving like a high side strafing run and a wildcat behind him just overruns him just loses it in this high speed dive and kind of comes in and clips the back of his canopy right over his head just think about this another wildcat being that close to your head yeah. right Hits the canopy, skids down, cross the front of the cowling, knocks out his propeller, right? The other wildcat just wildly plummets to earth. Pilot's dead. He's all banked up, dead sticks. It lands. And this uh, He was stationed outside of like Atlantic City, New Jersey for this the, at the air station down there. And um, dead sticks it into a field and hits a bunch of pine trees. And the picture of the wreck is like unbelievable that he walked out of it, right? Just some bumps and bruises. Gets back in. Um, then he's, you know, he's, he's got his squadron, he's training his guys, they're in SNJs and he's talking about all these young kids, right? These brand new ensigns and, and Lieutenant JGs, you know, 20, 22 year old kids, they're hot dogging it in their SNJs and they're, you know, of course the natural, Hey guys, don't, you know, don't go that far out. No dog fighting, this and that, you know? So of course what happens they go out that far and they young kid, yeah. Young dudes will be young dudes, and there was two that were in the SNJ together. Both of them were having a double wedding that Saturday, and they're hot dogging with another SNJ. Boom! Both those two guys are gone now. So there's all of these accidents. And I think there's another accident on a, like a shakedown when they're landing on a static carrier in Maryland. Um, then he finally gets Hellcats and talking about learning how to fly the Hellcat. He said he was not. As, as badly as he wanted to get in one, not quite as easy to maneuver as, as a wildcat. Of course, he said it was really cool that you didn't have to do this, crank the landing gear. <laughs> you know? 29 um, times. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I thought it interesting that he didn't realize the first time he flew when he did not have the harness with the seat cushion attached to, you know, with your, with your raft in it, mm -hmm. you need that to fly in a Hellcat or you cannot see well, the seat is so deep. Oh, and I think the Corsairs were the same way. If I, if I'm not mistaken, they you, built the, you have to have that. They built the saddle around the seat cushion. Right. Otherwise it's so, like the old lady in the yeah. old Buick with the head below the steering wheel. Exactly. So that's the first time he flew a Hellcat was that's how it was. He didn't have the cushion, so he couldn't see, you know, and he thought it really felt, sluggish at first because he's used to that wildcat and um so anyway so then of course they deploy to the pacific and they do not actually see combat during the turkey shoot um they were he was on a cdl so he wasn't on a main escort or he wasn't on a main carrier so you know they, they kind of did the combat air patrols and strafed a bunch of islands some islands guys island names i've never heard of you know that we hit probably little army operations. Yeah. You know it was it was it was part of some outer cordon of a main invasion in the Marianas or the Marshalls, something like that. You know, of course he talks about truck, of course, and Tinian and Saipan. You know, um, and whatever, however you say the Wotji, Wotjay, Wotji, Wotji, yeah, the Mali Allap and all the other, you know. Yeah, you know, Henry, that's the worst Henry part knows. about um, being in the Pacific theater is, is trying to say the names of all the Japanese uh, hierarchy and then the islands. And a, and a lot of the names have changed through the years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so great book. That's uh, I just finished it up Friday. Um, I, I I really enjoyed it. I, I recommend it if if you could even possibly get a hold of it. But. So I'm on the last chapter of uh, Brothers in Arms, Best of Friends, the uh, Wild Bill Garnier and um, Babe Heffron story. You know, we often talk about a lot of the uh, artistic licensing, if you will, that they did in HBO Pacific. But one of the um, artistic licensing that stood out that was brought to my attention from this book, and this is my second time reading it, so I knew it before, but I just happened to forget. Babe was not there when Julian got shot. In the show, they show them, you know, out on patrol and, and babes down behind the log trying to crawl out and get him oh, and all yeah. that. 
he was back on his machine gun, but he was back in his foxhole in backup position in case they made contact and came back. So he never actually got the seed zone in. <coughs> um, they did, in fact, recover his body later uh, when his squad came back and told him that, you know, you want to come see him? He said, no, I don't want to see him like that. You know, I don't want that to be my last memory. And so that was one of the things that stood out. And then, um, but it's it's kind of cool at, at the end of the book, you know, uh, Garnier's talking about all the surgeries he had and how him and Joe Toy were, you know, they would, they would be in the hospital for 30, 40 days, have surgery, then go home for a weekend or two and then go back. And it, it took almost a year for him and Toy to get the amputations completed. And um, one thing I didn't realize is he, Garnier had a, he had a um, prosthetic leg until 1962, and um, somehow the prosthetic leg, I don't know if maybe it was a type where they kind of embedded the the rod into your bone to attach this thing with or whatever. He didn't really get into great detail. He just said that it was causing, it was causing enough problems that every time they tried to fix it, it was affecting his other leg in some way, shape, or form, and then that's how he ended up going straight to the crutches, but... Um, you know, he had, he got accustomed to walking on it and, you know, he, after the war and after he lost his leg, his fiance Franny, her family's trying to tell him, Hey, you don't want to, you know, you need to find a, another guy to get hooked up with because you're going to be taking care of him as he gets older. And so he never let it affect him. And, you know, he would do construction and carpentry and this and that and the other thing on his, on his leg. And then when he switched to crutches, he had to change things up and him and Bay worked down at the the docks as part of a union. There's a great story where he, he they're uh, doing a union strike, and um, I guess they worked on the trains. They load the trains. It had something to do with the trains down by the uh, docks, and they're on union strike. And so one of the foremen gets in the train because he's not going to put up with it. So Garnier sits down by the track and puts his missing leg that no one knew he had on the track. That he was hoping the train would run it over, make it look like he he got hit, but the train stopped and he ended up getting arrested and getting busted down and but it's it's a good book but um i bought this book a long time ago that jeff has already read and and um so after i finish up this last chapter on that book i'm finally going to break into bloody ridge and beyond and so yeah. um i'm looking yeah. forward to this one it's, it's been who wrote while. that this is by um larry alexander whitey yeah marlon whitey groft and new york times best-selling larry alexander so, yep, I'm excited to read this one and get back into my, my Pacific reading after uh, venturing off. I'm still trying to get them on the show. i got to reach out to her here this week. But uh, So that's what I'm looking into getting read up on. I saw my dad today. He picked me up at the airport. He's still, interestingly enough, turns out we both had the same insurance company. So he, as you all know, he got four feet of water. and He's like, I just wish the, the insurance company would just deny my claim because then FEMA would give me a, you know, a trailer, but, uh, so, oh, by the way, when you fly into Fort Myers and I had forgot cause I haven't flown in years because my family lives 17 hours away. So I usually drive, but, um, since it was just me, it was cheaper to fly, especially with gas prices are what they are today and food. But when you fly back into Southwest Florida, you actually, part of the landing path is over Fort Myers beach. And, uh, so I got to see it from above. And for those who don't know, that was Fort Myers Beach and Sanibel were ground zero for Hurricane Ian, and that's where everything got decimated. And there's not a – it almost – with the exception of the blue tarps on the roofs of what houses are still standing, as far as vegetation goes, it it's very reminiscent to, like, what you hear about Pelu or Tarawa. There's not a damn tree left on the island. It's just all sand and broken – like, all the vegetation is just about gone. It's insane. Um, I have a video clip of it. I'll probably put it on my YouTube channel later, but – um so it was weird. You know, it's kind of getting nice getting out of town because even though it's been over 30 days, you drive down the street and there's, you know, the trash pickup hasn't taken care of the large debris. You still see roofs torn off and everybody's personal effects out in the yard. So with the exception of having power and internet, when you drive into these neighborhoods, it's like it just happened two days ago. So it was, I was really looking forward to getting out of town and getting a change of scenery, literally. And then like, Boom, flying back in before he even got touchdown, flew right over Fort Myers Beach. And so, oh, yeah, we're back at it. And uh, so, uh, but no, it was a nice get, little getaway. And um, 
just want to th- say thanks to all the listeners for your all's continued support. And um, please head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. Click on that Patreon link, sign up, and subscribe. You guys will help uh, get the show, you know, keep us doing what we're doing. And um, I want to thank Jeff and Henry, as always, and each and every one of you. And we will be back. Uh, well, we can do this on the air. Is next weekend Thanksgiving or is it the following weekend? Well, see, this is what happens when you got three old dudes, and none of our wives keep track of this crap we told. So it's a week from this Thursday, yeah, yeah, the 24th. Yeah, so we uh, okay, so we'll have a show on no, yeah, so well, yeah, Monday's the 21st, so we'll be back next week, but we may be gone the 28th because it's going to be maybe a extended Halloween, Thanksgiving weekend. So, yes, we should be back next week, and um, don't be surprised if we're not here on the 28th because holidays and such. But I want to thank everybody, and we will talk to you all next week. This has been a Digital 410 production. (laughs) 